But I mean, really, um, I just think it's interesting with fitness specifically because you know, most people don't get into fitness for, it's not like, you know, going to college and getting a degree that will get you a job in something, you know, people aren't like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And then I can, you know, retire easily. I'm going to have this job. That's, you know, as soon as I graduate, it's, you know, it's not that simple. So usually just someone getting into fitness, there's like an, like an emotional thing that's driving it or an experience that you've had. So I guess that is what I'm kind of interested in is what just kind of started making you go towards the coaching area or even get into fitness to begin with? Yeah, that's a really extensive question. <laughs> yeah, we can go back as far as you want to. Uh, I'll try to do like the shortened and condensed version. So all through really my entire childhood, my youth, I was an avid sportswoman. So I did all the sports. I was a competitive gymnast. I did golf, track, softball, volleyball, all the things. And I think I just have like athleticism in my background. And so when I graduated high school and, and went to college, it was kind of like, oh no, what, what do I do with myself now? And so then I kind of started like dabbling with lifting or like at least going to the university gym and more so doing cardio than anything. Um, I ended up, I'm just highly competitive in general. I think it's from that background of sports. And so I ended up like running a ton and training for a half marathon. And a lot of that was fueled by fear from the dreaded freshman 15, right? Like yeah. I was terrified I was going to gain weight and so I just cultivated this, what may be like a typical relationship with food and exercise for a female in America, mm -hmm. you know, like cardio bunny and 1200 calories and no carbs. And that fueled me through college. I had a really unhealthy relationship with activity and food for that pretty much that entire time. And then when I graduated college, it was like another like, oh God, what do I do now? Like, right. I don't have this discipline set out for me. I don't have a routine set out for me. I'm a member of society. Like I need to find a job and work a nine to five. And that is when I started competing. I was, that was probably one of the lowest points in my life. I was so confused and I had no direction. I didn't feel like I had direction. I had a really hard time finding a job. I didn't feel like I had something to look forward to or something to push myself with. You know, I didn't have academics anymore either. So it was like, Ugh. Mm -hmm. so then I was like, yeah, competing, let's compete. <laughs> so then I trained for a bodybuilding show. I think that's one of the, the biggest things that they don't really tell you. Like it's someone going through high school and then like college is that each of those give you like a very specific mission you know, it's like, this is what I'm doing. And then if you stack sports on top of that, then you have this extra mission on top of it. So everything you have such focus and direction with your life, even if you're not really enjoying parts of it, you have that focus and direction and all these parameters. And then like after you graduate high school, even if you're going to college, there's kind of a shuffling of that. And, it, and you have to like rearrange it in your mind. And then I'm, I'm curious what, what was like your mental state as far as like how are you viewing yourself when you were eating 
1200 calories and doing but like a lot of cardio like how did you feel about yourself during that time I had a very deeply rooted sense of self-deprecation and I didn't have a positive relationship with my body I didn't have a positive mental outlook on life in general not to be dramatic but truly my entire life revolved around the body that I was in and the way it looked more much more so than it being a vessel to fuel me as a human person so I was just very obsessed with this aesthetic skinny like I just really wanted to be thin like and that's, the that's ideal, like the standard, right? There's like, yeah, like well, the you, ideal you need to be thin model. as a woman in the United States if you want to be considered attractive and, and, and all these different things. And, you know, that's like another thing that I don't even know how that got started per se. Like, I'm not sure, like maybe you would know better than me. Like, when did that become the standard where it was about skinny over healthy? Or, or I I even could say when did you realize that that was the standard as like a girl when I was very young as as far back as I can remember really having memories about my appearance like early in youth I would say I mean I don't come from a family where I'm just genetically inclined to look athletic or slender and I'm not I don't come from an overweight family either but my family's not particularly athletic and there's not that particular like genetic component where my family just looks athletic or slender mm -hmm. and I think I knew immediately in middle school when I would go to the pool with other females you know and you have to you wear your bathing suit and I remember even at like eight nine ten being self-conscious because I was like I was like a chubbier little kid I wasn't overweight ever mm -hmm. it's really common especially at that age to like have like some level of chubbiness, you know, you, you just are kind of like developing and maybe you, maybe your eating patterns are a little bit farther ahead than your growing patterns. And it kind of all evens out eventually. But as far as like, you know, a, a lot of young girls, I think don't understand that. And it can be hard to explain that to just anyone in general, you know, that like, it's fine if you're a little chubby for now, like you'll, you'll even out and learn to be healthy. But yeah, right, right. Then how do you I don't know. Did, do you keep that mindset then until you start competing? Like, did you have that same kind of view of yourself until you started getting into nutrition more, understanding things? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. For the general majority of time, yes. I'm incredibly self conscious, very body conscious and aware of the way my body looked at all times, very obsessive compulsive about my body shape and my body aesthetic even through my first competition and especially after my first competition was like a really unhealthy mind yeah, that is another trick too like you know competition can play is you almost have to have some level of unhealthy relationship with food because you're really getting yourself down to this incredibly low body fat and you have to be very you know strict and it's, it's kind of a thing to overcome in and of, of itself you know yeah absolutely what um because you kind of you know said that that helped you get out of that mindset a little bit what really started 
transitioning you away from that line of thinking? Like what was like the things that really started shifting it around for you? So I think I don't, I don't want to overgeneralize and just attribute it to one thing, right? Because there's so many variables that play into your, your mental state and your relationship with your food, relationship with food and your relationship with your body. But counting macros, really, like that was really it for me. It's, it was such a light bulb change. And it's what I can really attribute to going on the, uh, I don't want to say the right path, but a more positive path and helping me to understand nutrition and food as fuel and learning that, you know, there's not, it's so reductionist to just be like good food, bad food, healthy food, unhealthy food. And that was my entire existence of knowledge of food. Right. And so I would, I don't want to be like, it was all macros, but it really truly was like a huge game changer for me. And that's one of the things that you know, because you can obviously see a lot, like you can see a lot in fitness forums and stuff like that, where, you know, someone will be talking about food and they'll be like, you just need to look at food as fuel. You know, maybe to someone who's trying to lose weight, like just look at it as fuel. And it's like, that's, that's great. But to actually start conditioning your mind to view it as fuel, it is, it is a very hard and long process to do it. Cause even like myself without the, the like social conditioning that, you know, women get as they grow up, even without having to deal with that. I, you know, always looked at it as good food, bad food. This makes you fat. This doesn't. And, and I didn't look at it as fuel. I looked at it as something that I had to constantly try to deprive myself of if I didn't want to be overweight. And, and it actually was macros for me too, that once I started tracking them and then, you know, wanting to get bigger or stronger in the gym and seeing progress that I started associating food as fuel and something to drive me to my goals. And and I guess in a way macros was like the biggest thing that kind of shifted that. But you you had said that, you know, you got into competing as kind of a, you just needed something to like continue that competitive part of you and stuff like that. What made you then start shifting into coaching? Were you a coach when you first started competing? No, I wasn't. I, started competing this was 2006 the end of 2016 is when I started my prep and then I competed in the the summer of 2017 and competing was kind of like running up you know it was super popularized by that point Mm -hmm. and all I knew was that I had to have an online coach right like you can't you can't bikini prep without an online coach yeah and so I just like went to random insta famous profiles and i was like "Ooh, this person's a competitor like and i just kind of like filtered through people and i'm like okay who can i find who's going to be my coach and i hired somebody it ended up being a terrible experience and i fired her like 16 weeks out from my show oh wow that's that's a bold move (laughs) it must have been really really bad i mean obviously without necessarily saying who it is what was what was the problems with it that you were like I literally don't want to work with you now. The really the epitome of the end of that relationship was the fact that I 
had some questions about the rationale behind protocol I was prescribed. So I had like this very dramatic drop in carbs. And I, I had been tracking macros at that point for maybe like three or four months. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I knew enough to know that I can't even remember how much it was. It might've been a hundred or 80 <laughs> or something like that, where I was yeah. already kind of low carb. I would have been sub 100 grams of carbs, like Ooh, 16 yeah. plus weeks out. And I was like, <laughs> like, where am I going to go after two weeks of doing this or something? Absolutely. I was like, red flag, red flag. And so I... I inquired for the rationale behind that decision. Hindsight, this person didn't have their uh, any certifications, no like certified personal trainer, no nutrition experience mm -hmm. or knowledge or certification. So, you know, bad on me for not doing appropriate research. But yeah, I mean, really, it was just a huge backlash. It was like, okay, I have questions about my protocol. And the response was like, well, why'd you hire me if you have questions about <laughs> protocol? Like, Which that alone is is already even if she said that and then eventually gave you wonderful reasons why this is absolutely the best way to do it already that moment alone is like well i don't think i should be working with you because that's not how a coach works you know right yeah i was yeah i was really put off by that and i was like i i just internally i didn't feel like i could recover from that and so i was like yeah i got, gotta go can't can't do this with you and so then i ended up finishing my prep with a very local coach and he was like I don't believe in macros I'm very old school bodybuilding and so he really encouraged and pushed for me to eat like protein and greens yeah and eat brown rice and chicken yeah I was like <laughs> so I mean I finished my prep and I competed and everything and then after that, I just had a terrible rebound because I don't know why, but it was essentially that experience where I was like, I don't feel like I can trust someone else to coach me. And I want to learn more about how I can coach myself. So then I got my personal trainer cert and I competed again, you know, a year or two later and coached myself. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's becoming a little bit more popular now is I think a lot of people are starting with all the information that you can get now. I think a lot of people are starting to coach themselves. How, how did it go just in general, like coaching yourself? Cause I, it, it definitely seemed like it'd be harder with not having accountability to someone specifically. Uh, how did it work mentally for you in that process? I felt like it was the I mean, I had a great second prep mm -hmm. because I felt I, I felt like I was in the best place mentally. I mean, I really worked on myself and my relationship with food before I even started another prep. So I had to really recover from that. But then I don't know, maybe I had this sense of empowerment because I like took it in my own hands and I was like, I can do this. But I didn't struggle with accountability. I'm also not somebody who generally struggles with accountability. Mm -hmm. If I hold myself accountable, that's enough for me. And the other side of that picture is my fiance is a personal trainer. He's very embedded in the fitness industry as well. I, one of my best friends is a registered dietitian. So I felt very comfortable that I had a support circle who would mm -hmm. give me objective advice, knowing what my goal was. And so I would consult, you know, with the people around me and get feedback. And I mean, it was, I loved it. I thought it was 
a great prep. Yeah, that's huge. Just having like a tribe of people who want to understand what they're doing and then also support you in that. I mean, that more or less equals, you know, that, that almost equals a coach, but it, just having that around you is, I think, huge. I think that's what a lot of people also are missing that need a coach is that they don't have they don't have a friend who understands nutrition or has a degree or is a dietitian or something like that. And then, you know, I think it'd be very hard for someone like that to, you know, go from A to B with their goals. But um, I think that I'm curious with, you know, once you kind of decided you wanted to be a coach, what, what, what was like your, your kind of goal going into it of like, okay, I want to do this because why? That's a good question. I, I don't know that I ever had that moment that you're maybe alluding to where you're like, ah, I'm going to be an online coach. Mm -hmm. I think it happened very gradually without me even knowing it. Right. Like maybe you can relate to this. I started to have lots of people come to me for advice, like, oh, hey, you know, what would you do in this situation? Or how do you recommend I do X, Y, and Z to meet this goal? And I was kind of just giving out free information to, to friends and family and happily. So I was like very mm-hmm. invested in, in their progress, even though they weren't invested in me financially. And I also started to grow this very innate passion where I was like, balance is possible. And I, I truly for the first 24 years of my life did not believe that you could be balanced. I thought you either had to starve yourself if you wanted to look the way you wanted to look or you had to be overweight and there was there was no other option and so I felt I just could see people all around me like doing cleanses and keto and having that same mental approach to their relationship with food or their expectation that they have to constantly be on a diet to be where they want to be physically and I just I was just angry I was like angry at diet culture and the way that American society tends to make women feel. And I was that, I feel like I had like a rage fueled, I'm going to help some people. (laughs) I'm going to change their lives. And like, this is important. It feels really important to me. I I bet, you know, I'm sure you can honestly go on an endless list of the amount of people, you know, that try a diet, and maybe even find success. And then they slowly, even if it's over a long period, they gain the weight back and try to starve themselves again. And they get stuck in that cycle of just like you know, starving themselves and then they gain the weight back. Then they can't eat as many calories as they did before. And then they starve themselves again. And it's just, yep. once you begin understanding nutrition, it, it starts, uh, you want to, you want to go to those people and be like, no, I know exactly what you need to do. And you don't, you don't have to do this, you know? And it's, I mean, it, it, it does, I think it come for a lot of people from, from that place of like, once you start, you know, I'll say, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better term, once you kind of become woke to nutrition and then you see people doing these things and you just want to help them. And it comes from like a position of like your experience. Cause I, I don't think that do you think you would be a coach if you never had an unhealthy relationship with food and then never had a bad coach? Like, do you think if you were, like didn't have those experiences, you would have 
still come to this area of your life? That's something, yeah, I've never considered that. Um, I think it's, it's fair to say that those thing those experiences were very influential in leading me to where I am now, but I don't know. I haven't ever really considered that. Probably not, to be honest. I mean, if I had never had to go through, I don't know if, I don't know if it's fair to call it a struggle, right? Because it was self-inflicted. It wasn't like I was put into this disenfranchised position. It was me deciding I'm going to restrict myself and I'm going to make my life miserable so I can look good. I mean, that's so shallow. Um, but no, I probably not. I don't know that I would feel so passionate if I hadn't had those experiences. Yeah, I was because I just heard you talking about like the the like almost rage of, of seeing that. And I, I feel like all of those emotions come from like you being there and like having that experience for so many years of your life and just knowing like the mindset that that person is probably in and how much how they're viewing themselves because very few people are you know in you know eating 1200 calories a day and just you know doing endless cardio and and just destroying their bodies and, and their metabolism and doing that while completely loving and accepting themselves you know it's not really something that goes hand in hand. So I think that, I don't know, I, I just found it interesting that, you know, I could almost, I guess, in my mind, point to those moments as kind of like what made you become a coach just from my perception of it and seeing that, which is why I always think it's interesting when someone becomes a fitness coach, because I think most people who get into fitness have experiences like that. Like, you know, it isn't, like you were going through to your perfect, happy life and we're like, you know what? I would just really love to coach people into fitness. You know, it, it all, it, I think a lot of times it comes from this deeper place of uh, maybe, I guess, pain to some extent of, of pain experienced throughout your life and, and struggle. And even though it was self-imposed, like struggle is struggle, you know, like you can, you know, do a, a crazy workout and self-imposed, but it still was hard and still was a struggle, you know? So I think it's, you know, really interesting to see all of it that leads up to that. And what, um, who, who, I guess, do you want to help people that are like you, or are you just looking for general people with fitness problems? Like who, who are you really passionate about helping? I think that's something I'm still trying to figure out primarily people who have been through or people who are going through what I've been through is really what I'm drawn to. So people who are stuck in the cycle of ruthless yo-yo dieting, right? Like you've already described, that's who I would consider to be my ideal client. But I think that will evolve mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. If, you know, and, you know, on the chance that anyone is, you know, listening to this that, you know, maybe kind of fits that description. What, what would you call the symptoms of that unhealthy relationship that you were having at that time with like food and everything? What were like all of the things that you were really experiencing, like whether that's energy levels or, you know, interactions with people, what were the consequences of it? 
I think the main, one of the biggest consequences was my level of irritability. Like I just was just constantly upset. I don't even know if upset is the right word to use, but just really unsatisfied, right? Like in multiple ways, like unsatisfied because I'm not, I'm actually not eating. So I'm actually physiologically unsatisfied. Like I don't have enough nutrients in my body to feel good and energetic and in the moment. And then also the parallel of that, which is like, I'm unsatisfied with myself and my, my purpose and my being and how that relates to my life in a very like existentialist sort of way. Yeah. That, you know, that, that I think that is what will resonate with people the most. Cause I think anyone who like, I've definitely had, you know, those similar feelings of, you know, just being in a spot of like when you're really, really unhappy with yourself and, and th- that even extended farther out. Like it wasn't even just like, a, cause I used to be overweight when I was younger and it wasn't even that I was just upset with how I looked. It was like, that was also a symptom to some, some extent, like I was eating more because I was upset with life in general. And, and, and my unhealthy relationship with food started with that. And then I flipped it where I then, you know, started more going on with like a starvation diet. And it was the same thing. Like I, you know, was starving myself and then eating more than I should, like doing both of those at different points in my life for the exact same reason of my general dissatisfaction with my existence and myself and how I was living my life. And I think, um, I think that's the thing that, you know, is, is maybe not like, or it's a little bit overlooked is that, that I think that's where people often flip from, you know, being overweight to anorexic or bulimic is that they don't take care of that, like underlying symptom of like, I am not happy with my life. And they just treat that symptom where it's like, I'm overweight. Now I'm not, not going to eat anything. And they don't actually start switching that mindset. So even, you know, is there stuff outside of fitness that you began doing that also contributed to you feeling better about yourself and, you know, kind of finding yourself more? Yeah, I think there's so many things. It would be hard to even like peg them all, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's exactly what you said is this idea that you, you have some sort of dissonance internally and you think that if you lose 10 pounds or if you lose 25 pounds that all your problems are going to be solved (laughs) and then you get there right like albeit very unhealthily and in a really messed up way and then you're like wait (laughs) life still sucks yeah that's Um, exactly what it is yeah it's definitely that internal work that is imperative I mean I don't think you're ever going to be satisfied with yourself if you don't have some sort of internal self-love or some sort of like passion where you feel like you are just your being and your existence is justified yes yeah yeah I think that one of the things I'm a very I'm very introverted so if out if I'm not challenged to 
engage in my extroversion, I will just like recoil into myself and Mm -hmm. be inside and be by myself all the time. And something my fiance, when we first got together, he's extremely extroverted. He's a super social butterfly and has so many people and connections and networks. And it was a a conflict between us, right? Because he would constantly want to go do things and hang out with people and socialize. And I was like internally freaking out with social anxiety. And he was like, look, you know, you really should work on this. (laughs) Um, And so I did, I did. I really, really put like a lot of effort into making friendships, which post grad, like post undergraduate that is a hard thing to do I moved to a new town to be with my boyfriend at the time who had lived in this town forever so you know and I had to make my own friends and that's rough as an adult I think that's not talked about a lot (laughs) yeah it was like really hard it was really hard but you know four years later, I can sit here and be like, I have five like dope friends who I could count on for anything where like, I didn't even meet them in high school. I didn't meet them in college. Like I went out and I found them. (laughs) That is like actually very commendable. It is hard hard to do that as an adult. Yeah. You just have the ability to just be safe at home all the time. Like, you know what? I can just chill and have fun. You know, I like, I love just staying at home in a very relaxed and like calm environment very enjoyable to me so it's it definitely is a very difficult thing as an adult to go out and start building new relationships and making friends but I think that goes to I don't know maybe this is you know part of something that was influenced by your you know athletics and stuff it's like really going into like an like an uncomfortable spot and being willing to really engage with it because that's like a hard thing to do. Like, are you, I don't even, you know, I'm sure you guess you kind of know this, but like me listening to that, that sounds like some hard stuff to do is to really be like introverted and then be already in a relationship with someone who's extroverted. So you're ready out of your comfort zone and just that interaction normally. And then feeling the pressure of like having to really go far out of your comfort zone and really lean into the thing you're most uncomfortable with. You know, I think that is, you know, that that's like a quality that you have to build and nurture. And do you think it was like sports that gave you that? Or was it like everything for lack of a better term? Like what, what has helped you like nurture that? Cause that is something I think you have to build. That's hard to peg. I yeah. don't know. I don't, I, I think it, a lot of it was, you know, after I graduated college, that sensation of truly being like a real adult on your own for the first time. Scary shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so hard. <laughs> but I think, I think, I don't know. I think that was kind of like the seed that was planted. And then it was like, oh shit, you have to make your own life. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you're moving you know, from your town, like you're not in your time. Extra layer of difficulty. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, all right, well, you know, I don't know. And I think I'm very innately drawn to the idea that I always want to pursue a bigger version of myself. Right. So whether that's like academically or athletically or 
career driven, whatever the case may be, I'm very like, I can do more. I want to supersede myself every time. So maybe that has something to do with growing a social circle. I don't Mm -hmm. know for sure. Yeah, I think uh, one one of my favorite quotes is uh, is by Jordan Peterson, and he says um, he says something along the lines of, "Life is full of suffering, so you have to focus on justifying an existence that makes that suffering worthwhile." Something along those lines, where it's like you know, there's a lot of hard things and pain in life, so you have to really map out what is going to justify going through all this to me. So I'm curious what to you justifies the difficulty and and suffering of life. Like what life would that is is that for you? Dude, you are challenging. What? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I have this really cliche answer where it's like I want to I want to look back and and be able to know that I did something worthwhile, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to articulate that in a more eloquent way, but I, know, I just it's, have it's this, a hard like, thing to really, yeah, 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 you know. like this fantasy that when I'm an old woman sitting in a nursing home or whatever my destiny mm-hmm. is, I'm gonna look back and be like, I'm completely content with dying because I used my life in a way that was productive and meaning filled and I'm cool with that. And like my, my deed is done and I'm content. I guess I don't maybe I'll continue with the hard questions. What are you doing now that you think you'll look back on and be like, yeah, that was one of the things. And then also what aren't you doing now that if you look back on it, you'd be like, I should have gone for that or I should be going for that. Damn, dude. <laughs> uh, what I'm doing right now is, aside from coaching and trying Which to- Which that counts for sure. You're affecting lives yeah. in a very positive way. That's, I, that's real. I hope so. That's what, yeah, that's what I would hope. I think I do that. I, I, I also agree with this. <laughs> I think, okay, so right now I'm in grad school um, and I am studying clinical social work. And social work is one of these really like vague sort of career choices, right? Everyone's like, what's social work? I actually was thinking about asking that question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'm on a very determined mission to confront social injustice. And so I think that right now that qualifies me to maybe meet my dreams of being an Mm -hmm. 80 year old woman where I'm like I did that thing and that like that was meaningful and I can't say that right now I can think of something where I'm like okay this is where I'm lacking I think that's good but (laughs) or it could be a flaw right like it could be self-reflect it could be I think as I as I continue to grow and age and learn I feel like I have different periods of self-awakening right where you're like oh Mm -hmm. that's it's like the it's like the whole like thing that people talk about like you're coming of age like I'm in my 20s I'm like coming of age right I'm like learning who I am um and I think as I reflect on things I've done and said in the past I'm like wow you know I really 
could have been, I could have handled situations in the past differently. I could have, there are, I wouldn't say regrets, but things where I'm like hindsight, you know, this is how I want to be moving forward. And so I think I just, I hope that I continue to manage situations in a way where I would look back and be like, I'm content with how I handled that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of life is like you go through like these levels and like you'll start reaching the very top of your level and you're like, wow, like this is like, I kind of got all this shit figured out. I'm pretty happy with everything. And you just like rank up to the next level and you're like, yes. oh my God, like there's so many things to fix. And you just want to like thought, Scientology. <laughs> I'm not a Scientologist, but <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't judge you if you were, I'm, I'm fine with, I believe a lot of crazy shit. So I'm, I'm I don't judge anyone, but I, I guess that, that kind of leads into the the last question, which I warned you about. <laughs> um, yeah. So what um, what can you point to that was like the single had the single biggest impact on your life? And I've been thinking about this for days, and I <laughs> I have some issue with it. <laughs> I think that the way you phrase this question right? Like the single most impactful moment. It's, it feels so finite. Like I have to pick like one moment Mm -hmm. and I can't, I, I can't pick one moment. You could, yeah. I mean, this can extend to, you could even say, I'll, I'll broaden it. Maybe, um, maybe time period that you feel had like a really large impact on you or person or something like that. Yeah. So I think that if I'm trying to pare it down to a decision, I think the decision that is, has been most impactful to this point in my life would be my decision to go to graduate school and pursue Mm -hmm. clinical social work, which is something that I told myself my entire life that I was, I was never going to go to grad school. I'm not interested in more student loans. Like I don't know. I'm going to college. I'm going to be on that conveyor belt. I'm going to go to high school, go to a four-year college, and then I'm cool. I'm going to get a job and pay all my loans and I'm going to live my life and it's going to be great. And then it was like, wait, life's actually not that fulfilling and having a four-year degree actually means nothing. And so what are you really going to do with your life now? And I was like, wait, okay, I need a bigger picture. And for me, that was, that's social work it fulfills this sort of need within me to have that altruistic passion sense of meaning met. Yeah. What, um, do you have like a kind of a specific thing you're shooting for in social work that like you're passionate about this area of it that you would like to put your energy into? Primarily mental health. Mm-hmm. like that is the that is the big cherry on top I think for me that really motivates me is is working on this never-ending agenda to promote mental health as something that's valid and something that people need to pay attention to and then helping treat mental health issues disorders that type of thing yeah, I think that I think that's great. And I think that I think especially 
if you've seen it with just the way everything is now, I think that is a huge thing that a lot of people do need help with and a lot of people need information about. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed this and I think it was a great conversation. Um, and if anyone's interested in finding you on social media or anything, where can they find you? Yeah. Uh, so it's my Instagram handle is at underscore fit with Kate, K-A-I-T. And then Facebook is the same, but it's just, there's no underscore. So at fit with Kate. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for yeah. coming on. I really thank appreciate you for the it. Opportunity. Yeah. I'm, I'm down to do this again at some point. If you ever have stuff to, you want to talk about that you're doing, for sure. Um, I'd love to. Uh, so thank you. And thank you to anyone that is watching.